Uh, good morning, Harvest Church. I hope everybody's having a great day. My name is Blake. I get the distinct and uh, humble privilege of being able to open God's Word and walk through this text together with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. Last Sunday was a great Sunday, all of us being able to celebrate together Christ's resurrection. For those that are in Christ, the beauty of the resurrection is that we don't just have to have one day on the calendar that we get to celebrate that, but because of what Christ accomplished on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope every day. That is our hope. It's what gets us up in the morning. It's what allows us to lay our heads gently on a pillow at night and go to sleep, fully trusting ourselves to our gracious, kind Father, knowing that someday we will be reunited with Christ again. And so as awesome as last Sunday was, I pray that this last post-Easter week has been just as encouraging for you and you have been filled with great hope and great joy. Uh, but this morning, we're going to jump back into Mark's gospel. And this has been our series that we have been in ever since the beginning of the year, journeying through the book of Mark. And I pray that you have been reading it on your own uh, every week, just these little bite-sized chunks so that you can see in advance what you're going to be hearing on Sunday. And so much of how this story connects and how it unfolds as Mark is moving us through this account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Just as a reminder, Mark most likely received his information firsthand from the Apostle Peter. So it is very reliable. It is very trustworthy. And Mark doesn't waste time. Mark moves fast. There's an urgency to his words because ultimately what Mark wants us to know and understand is the purpose and mission of Jesus, bringing in and ushering in his kingdom, helping us to know and understand what it means and looks like and is to enjoy living under the full and righteous reign of King Jesus, living as kingdom citizens. We know our temporary citizenship may be here. Our full and final citizenship is elsewhere. And so this morning, we're going to be jumping back in, continuing to see how Jesus establishes his kingdom in the hearts and lives of his followers now so that we can have constant and staid hope that someday he will full, fully and finally come to establish his kingdom here forever. And as I've said, in Mark's gospel, we see that things move at a rapid pace. There's an urgency to everything that Mark is doing here. And we see this with Jesus. We see this in how he himself is introduced. First, John the Baptist proclaiming, then Christ showing up. We see it in how his ministry begins and how he starts to gain a following. We've been seeing it up to now with seeing the types of people that his following attracts. And it attracts many types, from genuine followers to curious followers to absolute total opposition. And two weeks ago, when we were last here in our text, Matt did a great job in helping us see Jesus's distinct approach to all of these various types of people. And today, we're going to pick back up with the end of that text from two weeks ago. And for all of the different types of people that are attracted to Jesus in this book, one thing never changes. And that is that Jesus is always focused on his mission. He is never distracted and he is never moved from his purpose. 
For those of you that know or have seen uh, the Hickman family here at Harvest, you know that we are a male-dominant family. And I say that truly from just a numbers perspective. There are six males and there is Amber. Um, But Amber is not the only female in our home. We also have our sweet five-year-old Cocker Spaniel named Minka. Yes, she is named after a University of Alabama football player. Get over it. So when Minka was a puppy at our house, trying to train her was quite the chore. And that wasn't just her. That is all puppies in general. Getting them to go outside to do what dogs are supposed to do can be challenging because puppies are easily distracted. And in those early days, every little thing could cause her to lose focus and forget the purpose of why we were outside. Thankfully, five years in, those days are long behind her. But even today, there are still things that can divert her attention. Whereas they used to be things like a cricket or even the blowing of the wind, today they tend to be far larger. Like the other day when Amber and I took her out before we had somewhere that we had to be. And as is often the case in spring and summer, very large rabbit was jumping across the backyard. Now it's typically animals or humans that distract her. And what we're going to see in our text today is how even seemingly important things, large things, can cause us to lose our focus on what is ultimate. Even as we grow and mature in our relationship with Christ, the things that tend to distract us and divert our attention are typically not the small things, they're large things. But we need to understand the difference between what is important and what is ultimate. And learning to not be distracted by anything that would cause us or tempt us to forsake our ultimate purpose, just to love God by enjoying Him forever. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look at our text and We're going to see a few things that I pray will help us understand what Jesus is saying so that we can be moved today to worship him as ultimate. So we pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this beautiful weather. Thank you for this refreshing wind. Father, we pray that your word would come alive today, that you would work through weakness in me and all of us here that we would be able to see Jesus as ultimate and that we would be moved to devote all of ourselves fully to him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Look along with me there in Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. I'm going to read these verses again. This is God's word. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now I know these are five tiny verses, but as is often the case, there is a lot going on here. And thankfully, we have some context from earlier in chapter 3 to help us this morning. But at a glance, it appears that there's some serious family drama in Jesus' earthly home. 
his family is outside and they're wanting to see him. And he makes a statement that basically says, no, they aren't my family. What in the world is going on here? Well, as is the case most often, it helps us to look deeper to see what is really going on. And this morning, we're going to spend our time in this text looking all over the Bible to gain a better understanding on what is and isn't being said here. And there are some things that we need to look at first as we dig into this text. And there's three simple things that I want us to see today. And the first is this, is that we need to know after reading these verses that family is biblical. We need to know and understand that family is biblical. At first glance here in our text this morning, we could read this and be led to believe that Jesus is advocating for abandoning the idea of earthly family, that he is abandoning his family and he is suggesting that we should do the same, that the idea of family as it has been constructed up until that time is outdated and over and it should be done away with. But is that what Jesus is saying here? No. Not at all, not even close. And we'll get to why it isn't what he is saying here in a moment. But how can we know from Scripture that it is not what Jesus is suggesting here? Well, primarily, we know this because Jesus created families. We see this in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and pretty much in all of chapter 2 of Genesis. Family was God's design, and it was good, and it was blessed by God. And yes, I know what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis, and we will get to that in a minute. But the fall did not thwart God's ultimate purpose for families. We know this from multiple other passages in both the Old and New Testament. Passages like Deuteronomy 6, the Shema passage, which offers great instruction on the primary role that parents are to play in the discipleship of their kids. Passages like Psalm 78, which help us see the importance of generational legacy and following God and being fully devoted to him over and above all other distracting things. And you may say, well, Blake, that's all well and good, but that's the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He's ushering in his kingdom, right? Isn't this him saying that his kingdom is better than this and this is his new order that he is setting up? Well, that's a great question, but if you're thinking that, the answer is no. If that is so, then why do Paul in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and Peter in 1 Peter 3 give us instruction on home life and family living? Jesus more than anyone knows and understands the importance of the family. He knows this because he is the author of it. Family is a biblical institution. It is not a cultural or even a governmental institution. Family was created and established by God. It is not a man-made invention or construct. So no matter what our world tells us, we need to know and to remember this. So if this is so, and we see this all over the Bible, the family being affirmed, then why does Jesus make what appears to be a statement about abandoning family? We'll get to that in a minute. But before we get to that, we need to remember that family is deeply biblical. And the next thing we need to see before we answer that question about why does Jesus appear to be abandoning it is we need to look at the reality of families in our day. Not just in our day, but throughout all time. Because yes, family, singular, is biblical, but families are dysfunctional. 
And I really struggled with that statement this week. I really tried to water that down. I really tried to soft sell the reality of how we live in a fallen world. But to do that would be to rob the beauty of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is for dysfunctional people and for dysfunctional families. And by the way, that description fits all people and fits all families. I've mentioned this quote before by Tim Keller. The gospel is this. It is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. We are all broken and sin sick. And we all have issues. Our primary one being our sin. And left to ourselves, we will, not might, we will make a disaster of our lives. But the beauty of the gospel is, it, is that it is in that condition that God moves toward us. Not in our righteousness, but in our mess. Jesus came for the sick and the sinful. He put himself between our sin and God's holiness and his righteous wrath so that we could be saved from eternal death. And the first step toward Christ in saving faith is never boasting in how awesome we are. No, it is always in seeing how messed up you are. And the reason that I like that Keller quote is because it reminds me that as dysfunctional as I think I am, no, as dysfunctional as I know I am, I'm actually even more. And in and through that is where I find the love and acceptance of Jesus. And I'm sure that there are people here today or people watching at home or who will listen to this and to sit through that last point on how family is biblical. It was like a punch in the gut to you because there has been great hurt that has been caused by family. Deep hurt, possibly even deeply evil hurt. It has left you pained and it has left you wounded at the concept of family. And honestly, Jesus' words here would probably be a comfort to you. Yes, get rid of family altogether. And that is why ownership of how broken and fallen our world is, is so important. Why should we keep something that is so broken and cause so much harm? Because God can redeem what seems irredeemable. And he can restore what seems like it is beyond restoration. And there are others that are probably thinking I'm overselling this point by using the word dysfunction. I assure you, I am not. All families, even the best of them, are filled with sinful people, hopefully redeemed, but still sin struggling people. And the good news here, it's not going to seem like good news, but it is good news, is that it has been this way forever. I referenced it earlier, but yes, Genesis 3 comes after the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel after that. And if you want encouragement on the family, I really wouldn't encourage you to read Genesis chapter 6. All the wickedness is people multiplied throughout the earth, brought the flood, and it wiped out everyone and everything except for Noah's family and the animals on the ark. And we could think, well, that surely fixed the problem. Nope. Beginning again with Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Samuel, to David, all through the kings. We spent so much time in Isaiah last year referencing multiple kings and their families. 
we see that sinfulness and how it plagues the home. And in those stories, we see what seem like really large ways. But in our text today, we see it in just ordinary day-to-day life. Let's zoom back into Mark again. Here are Mary and Jesus' brothers, and it appears that they just want to speak to him. They just want to have a conversation. Just want a little time with son and big brother. Maybe they haven't seen him in a while. Maybe they just wanted a quick hug. I mean, is that too much to ask? But that isn't what is going on here. If you remember from two weeks ago, Matt helped us see what is really at work here. Let's look back at verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. From those two verses, especially verse 21, we see the context of what is happening in our text today. Basically, Jesus didn't get the message the first time, and they are finally fed up with him blowing them off. And they are here to let Jesus know, listen, really need you to listen. All this attention that you were bringing on yourself, yeah, that needs to stop real fast. And we could say, well, they're just concerned with his well-being. They're worried about him. They want to make sure he's eating and sleeping and getting exercise and taking really good care of himself. Maybe so. But Mary, for sure, and I'd wager a guess his brothers and sisters as well, have known that Jesus' mission is to always be about his father's business. You may remember from Luke chapter 2, the trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was a young boy, when they went there for Passover, where for three days Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus and finally found him in the temple. And Jesus' response then was almost shocked. We know he wasn't shocked, but looking at Mary and Joseph to say, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Even when Jesus was a boy, Luke tells us there in Luke 2.51 that Mary and Joseph did not understand Jesus' true purpose. So there may have been concern for his well-being, but most likely this was concern for the family name. Jesus is not just bringing trouble for himself. But now he's bringing trouble for them as well. And they want him to stop it. And we see that even in the very family that Jesus was a part of, great selfishness and great sin. But here is where we see the gospel. Because it is in our broken dysfunction that God reaches out to us in Jesus. And we see this in our final point. Because family is biblical, Families are dysfunctional, but Jesus is ultimate. And to this point, you might not be feeling much encouragement from this text today at all. But here is where the encouragement comes. Back to the answer to our earlier question. Is Jesus calling us to abandon family? No, he's not. But he is calling us to see it rightly in light of eternity. He is not calling us to abandon what God joins together and institutes, but he is calling us to see beyond it to what is ultimate and better. And with all things that God entrusts to our care, we are called to hold them loosely, trusting their good ultimately to him. This is the point that Jesus is making here. He is not diminishing the value of earthly family. No, he is just declaring the infinite, the infinite eternal value of our heavenly one. 
He is helping us to see beyond what is temporary to see to what is eternal. And he is exposing heart idolatry all along the way. We've said this before. Idolatry is when we make a good thing an ultimate thing and it becomes an altar at which we worship. Jesus is not saying that earthly families are not good, but he is saying that they are not ultimate. And it's when we make them ultimate that they start to fall apart in our hands. And, it's, and here is so much encouragement for all believers, regardless of where you find yourself today. For our non-married brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying that there is something better than marriage. For married couples struggling with infertility, Jesus is saying there is something greater than parenthood. For young parents struggling with day-to-day discipline of young kids, Jesus is saying there is something better than your child's obedience. For parents struggling with day-to-day discipline with older kids, Jesus is saying there is something better than seeing all the plans and dreams that you have for your child being fulfilled. For empty nesters and grandparents, Jesus is saying there is something better than the safety and protection of your extended family. What Jesus is saying is that all of the things that fill us with worry and fear and anxiety as they relate to our homes, all of these things are temporary, but he is ultimate. And in this instant with Jesus and his family, they are there to move him off of his primary purpose. And Jesus' response to those that are listening is to say, you know what? There is something far greater than this thing that you all find ultimate. In their day and time, there was nothing more primary than the family. And Jesus is trying to help them see beyond that to see him. As good and as important as family is, there is something that is way more important. And that thing is our application from this text. And we see that straight from the text in verse 35 today. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. How do we respond in light of what we see here? We do what Jesus asks of us. We, like Jesus, commit ourselves to doing the will of the Father. But what does that look like? Practically, how can we do this? Well, practically, that begins by repenting of everything in our life that we place as ultimate over and above Jesus. This could be our job. This could be our money. This could be our house. It could be our friends. It could be our habits. It could even be our families. Whatever we are serving more than Jesus, we need to see it as sin and confess it as sin and we need to repent of it. And then we need to grow in grace. That is what sanctification is simply. It is growth in grace. It is us growing daily, actually even minute by minute in our understanding of the grace that God has shown us in his son. And then as we grow in that, we move to pour out that same grace on all who are around us. 
And for many of us here this morning, that begins with pouring it out in our homes. What is the best way to have homes that don't see themselves as ultimate? It is remembering and serving the one who is ultimate. And it is constantly encouraging one another in our homes to look beyond what is temporary to what will endure forever. And guess what? Beyond those homes which are temporary, the best way that we encourage one another is the same way. The best way that we can encourage one another to look beyond what is temporary to what is eternal is by encouraging one another to grow in grace as well. Harvest church family, fellow sisters and brothers, if in Christ, not bone of bone or flesh of flesh, but born of spirit and lasting forever. Let's push one another to look, all, to look beyond all that is temporary and fleeting. Let's be fixated on what will last forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these encouraging verses today. Father, we thank you for how you have placed all of us in families. We thank you that you have instituted that for our good and for your glory. Father, we thank you, though, that that is a temporary picture of something that is far better. Father, may we be moved through this text today in light of obedience to lay down anything that we are serving as ultimate over you. May, be, may we be convicted. May we confess it. May we loose our grip on it. And may we serve you as our king. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.